with the adult Bible class as we, we seek the Lord's help in growing in the knowledge of Christ, which is in many ways a foretaste of heaven. Let us pray, please. Merciful and loving heavenly God, our Father, in the name of thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, we give thee thanks and praise that we may call upon thee. We thank thee, our Lord, for this chance, this opportunity that thou hast granted to us to learn more of thy ways, to learn more of thy word, and to discover something of the truths of the ninth commandment even this morning. For thou help us, O Lord, grant us those, that spirit that is teachable, Soften thou our necks and open our ears that the word of Christ may enter in and do us good. Forgive thou our sins, we pray, for we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. We'll read uh, together from Psalm 15. Psalm 15, there should be a, a Bible in front of you in the pew with a red cover, mostly. So reading from Psalm 15 which is a psalm of David. Psalm 15, and we'll read this short psalm together. Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor, in whose eyes a vile person is contemned, that is despised, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not, he that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. Amen. So in our study of the Scriptures uh, through the Shorter Catechism, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, we've come now to questions 76 and question 77. Question 76, as we're in the section concerning the Ten Commandments, and now at the Ninth Commandment, it poses this question, which is the Ninth Commandment? Of all the commandments, which is the Ninth? And the answer is, the Ninth Commandment is thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. And then the following question asks, what is required in the ninth commandment? What does the, right, what does the ninth commandment require of us? And the answer is, the ninth commandment requireth the maintaining and promoting of truth between man and man, and of our own and our neighbor's good name, especially in witness-bearing. So what is required in the ninth commandment? The ninth commandment requires the maintaining and promoting of truth between man and man, and of our own and our neighbor's good name, especially in witness-bearing. Now, the amount that's actually in here and the, the lateness of our start this morning will probably mean that we will only get through half of what we want to look at this morning, 
as we consider what is required in the ninth commandment. Well, when we consider the ninth commandment, therefore on the second table uh, of the law, it differs from the three preceding commandments. And if we go back then to the eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal. The seventh commandment, thou shalt not uh, commit adultery. Uh, the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. The great difference then with the ninth commandment is the ninth commandment does not regard, uh, is not concerning uh, the deeds that we do against others. It's not regarding injuries of deeds and actions, but references deeds or references injuries that are done with the mouth. Wrongs done by words, we could say. You may know the playground rhyme, the rhyme that's uh, you hear, maybe here still in the playgrounds in schools. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names shall never hurt me. Well, whether we agree or disagree with this truth, we do know that words can be hurtful. Words can be very hurtful uh, to ourselves and to others. But even if you had somebody who was, say, very strong of character, uh, to, against whom insults would be like water off a duck's back, that, that it wouldn't enter in, they just had, a, they had rhino skin, as it were, around their heart, and, and, and no insults could, could hurt them. And yet we could still say that, that names can hurt them because they can hurt their reputation. They can hurt their name, they can hurt their reputation, although they personally not be hurt, and yet we know that slander and gossip and all these other matters can very much hurt that person's reputation. And all of these things are, are wrapped up in the ninth commandment and as, as regarding the requirements of the ninth commandment. And so we see a few points then as we, as we examine the answer, the answer of what is required, and we'll read it just again. The ninth commandment requireth the maintaining and promoting of truth between man and man, and, again, if we open up the language, maintaining and promoting our own and our neighbor's good name, especially in witness-bearing. So there are a few points there that we should uh, take to heart as we open up uh, the requirements of the Ninth Commandment. The first one we saw very clearly, the maintenance of truth. The maintenance of truth. The Ninth Commandment requireth the maintaining and promoting of truth between man and man. So what is this, this truth? We're not, notice we're not saying what is truth. We're not like Pontius Pilate is asking, you know, what is truth? in some bizarre and lying philosophical manner. No, the truth that we are required to maintain is what we call the strict veracity, the strict truthfulness of something, an objective truth. In whatever we say, whatever we declare, whatever we deny, that it is according to the truth, not to our perception, not to our feelings, but to what the actual truth is. And in whatever context that we are to speak, whether it is in a private conversation, uh, whether it's in a formal making of an oath or a promise, or when we're signing contracts, that the truth is the truth, an objective truth. Zechariah, the prophet, in chapter 8 and verse 16, talks on this very matter. He says, These are the things that ye shall do, 
Speak ye every man the truth to his, na- to his neighbor. Execute the judgment of truth and peace in your gates. So the truth is to be an objective truth. It is a truth that is to be in exact agreement and harmony with our thoughts and our words and the things themselves. Whatever the thing is, whatever the matter is, it is to be truthfully described. And then as we're speaking about it, it is to be the truth. So no half-truths, but a full truth. There is, of course, no subjective truth. You will hear people these days speaking about, well, that's your truth and then my truth, as if that's true. That's That's a falsehood in and of itself. There is no my truth and your truth. Many these days have been deceived into believing this. Many years ago, when there was uh, maybe, uh, of course, this is the lie of Satan, uh, but we see that in our modern culture, having been developed in the, uh, in, in, well, in the whole of the 20th century, but especially in the, in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and 90s and the 60s, especially with the influx of, of Far Eastern religions, uh, which, is not, which has a denial of sin and a denial of ultimate truth. But we see also Marxism itself, which itself is based upon a huge lie and then spouts various lies to manipulate people, as it has done with, uh, with the working class and with feminism and these days with transgender uh, lies. Uh, and many have been deceived and thinking, I can make up my own truth, so I have decided to identify myself as a cat or identify myself as the foreign, as, a, as another gender, or whatever it might be, and then making a lie and, and convincing yourself that this is the truth. There are those within the church who will do the same with the Scriptures, saying, that piece of truth I will accept and I will submit myself to, but that one, oh, I will make up a thousand lies why I don't have to obey that commandment. But there is no my truth or your truth. There is the truth. The willful believing of a lie, as we've just been considering with those who would have bodily parts chopped off and have the whole of society turned on its head for their own confusion and perversion. The willful believing of a lie is not good for you. It's not good for the soul. It's not good for the character. It's not good for the mental stability of you or for anyone else. So what is the truth? It is an objective reality. An objective reality that can be tested, be tested again and again, and that's that's an example of what science should be. Science should be an objective observation of data, of truth, of true data, and then to try to understand that data, well, of course, then there are, we can have theorems, we can have theories, we can have um, models that would try to understand what the science is saying. Now, that's where lies can creep in, that's where imbalance can creep in, but they should be strict. Is this the truth? And if the evidence does not support it, then we are to abandon it. So, and ultimately, what is the truth? Well, the truth is the Word of God. The truth is the Word of God as we understand it. Now, not everything in the world is, is, in, is in the Bible. The, the correct way of repairing a computer is not in the Bible because that's not what the Bible was written for. The truth of the Bible is the revelation of who the true God is, the revelation of the true situation of man's soul before a holy God, and the true way of salvation, the true Redeemer, 
is all revealed in the scriptures of truth. So we've seen something of what the truth is. We could say then, why, why the truth? Why, why do we need this truth? Why is the Lord so insistent upon having all of mankind? Because, of course, the Ten Commandments are for all of mankind, not just for the Jews and the Christians, but for all that have been created by God. Although we could say that he's insistent on the truth for all of mankind, but most especially his own people. He's insistent that we all be speakers of the truth. Well, why? Because that is essential to whom God is. God is truth. Deuteronomy 32 and verse 4, amongst a hundred other verses, declare this, that he is the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. So God is truth. His, his word, called the scriptures of truth, his spirit has the title, the spirit of truth, and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, entitles himself the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the light. The truth is so essential to whom God is. And then when we understand that God is the truth, we then understand why the devil is called a liar and a murderer from the very beginning. To lie is to speak the language of the devil. But to speak the truth in love is the language of God. And therefore then, honest communication is to be held in the highest regard amongst God's people who were made in God's image and are being remade in Christ's image. And so when we come to portions of the Scriptures where it appears that a Christian has lied, uh, that a believer has lied in the Old or the New Testament, then we must study it carefully to see, is that deception or not? And it can be, and therefore it is a bad example to warn us if they haven't lied and we've understood it correctly, then that is to be a good example for us to follow. We're not going to go into all the examples in, in the Scriptures. But the truth is essentially this. It's not an option. The truth is never an option. It is a commandment. It is a necessity. And it is also a spiritual fruit. John 8 and verse 32, and the Lord says, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Christ himself being the truth. And those that would live in a lie or live in half-lives and half-truths are walking on very dangerous ground, very dangerous for the community around them, for their own soul, for their own character. The maintenance of the truth. But the confession, or the catechism, I should say, it talks about two things. It talks about the maintaining, but then it says the promoting of the truth. Requireth, the ninth commandment, requireth a maintaining and promoting of truth between man and man. So we got the promotion of the truth secondly then. What is the main reason for promoting the truth. Well, the chief reason for which the gift of speech has been given to man, because this is what we're thinking of, is the tongue that is to speak truth. The ultimate reason why we receive that gift of speech and that that speech should be a truthful speech is to glorify God. We know that from the question one of the Shorter Catechism. What is man's chief end? What is your goal in life, man? 
Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And so using the tongue in the glorifying of God by speaking the truth about who God is, speaking, or we should say echoing the truth of whom God reveals Himself to be in the Scriptures. So we praise Him. Psalm 50 and verse 23, Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me. And to him that ordereth his conversation aright will I show the salvation of God. So the speaking the truth with the tongue in praise to God is a, is a good thing. It gives true praise that we don't come with a forked tongue. We don't come uh, with a split tongue. Now that tongue that praises, as James says, the, pra- the, the, uh, the, the tongue or the mouth that, that, that praises God should not be the same tongue that curses men in the sense of, in, in, in the sense of um, deriding them, in the sense of slandering them and gossiping against them. So we praise God with the truth of who God is. And once we understand the truth of who the Lord is, it must cause us uh, to praise Him. But also in praying to Him. In praying to Him is also a matter of the truth that we call upon Him in absolute truth. The Lord knows when we are maybe attempting to be untruthful or exaggerating something. And we don't need to exaggerate anything. The truth is good enough. If the truth is not good enough, then exaggeration becomes a lie. If you say something about somebody and then you feel the need to exaggerate it and make it far worse than it is, then that becomes a lie. If there is something against somebody else, if there's something that somebody else has done, then the truth in and of itself should be more than sufficient. But of course, the truth should be spoken in love. Psalm 50 and verse 15, And call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. And so the Lord will deliver us out of true problems, out of true difficulties. But also, thirdly, by fighting for his truth, Fighting for the truth of God, Jude speaks of this, Jude 3, Jude and verse 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort that ye should earnestly contend for the faith, that is, fighting for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. So for the true doctrines of God, the true gospel as revealed in the Scriptures, the true fruit of of being, of being a believer. All these truths are part of the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. So we need to be fighting for his truth, not bickering amongst each other, but fighting for the truth. But then we understand also, and finally, when we're considering the, the primary reason and, and the glory of God is by confessing his truth personally. Not some abstract fighting for the truth, but the confessing of the truth as it has touched our souls and as it has changed our lives. We see that Romans 10 and verse 10. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And again, all the truth not, not a, not a hoped-for salvation which is not evident in life, 
where there is no repentance and no humility and no love of God and His people, but a true confession that is seen in the life. Is that the main reason then for promoting the truth is to give glory to God in all these matters and many more, but these are the core ones. The secondary reason for promoting the truth is for the building up of our fellow creatures, for their profit, for their good, that we speak the truth to our neighbor. We speak the truth about our neighbor. Ephesians 4 and verse 29 teaches us this in speaking of truth. It says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which, which means, and only that which is to the use of building them up, to minister, to serve grace unto the hearers. That, word, that, that phrase, the use of edifying, it means to edify profitably, to build them up with profit, that it's good for them that you build people up. You're not a breaker down of people, but you build them up, which is in direct opposition to much of the vain talk found in the mouths of many men and women and children. And thirdly, then, there's a point when we're considering the truth, that the truth is to the glory of God, truth is for the edification of our fellow man, but here's then a point to ask, is concealing the truth lying? Well, it can be. The concealing the truth could be lying, but let's just carefully consider this. It can be lawful to conceal part of the truth when the previous two thoughts are kept in mind. So it's not to the, it is not to the detriment of the glory of God and it is not to the detriment of the building up. In other words, it doesn't break down our fellow man or even ourselves. So it's to the glory of God. If, it's, if it is to the glory of God and it is to the good of man, then it can be lawful. But no untruth must be uttered. No lie must be offered uttered when concealing that truth. We'll question, well, why are we getting into this? Does not open, does not open up um, a Pandora's box of problems? Well, no, because the Lord gives us this example himself. When the Lord directs that Samuel the prophet would go out to the house of Jesse and that the Lord would reveal to him which of Jesse's sons would be the replacement for Saul... And bear in mind, Saul is still king and still a very jealous king, a very violent king on the throne. And when the Lord directs him, Samuel responds to him and then the Lord gives him advice, which is in this context. So 1 Samuel 16, verses 2 to 5. Let's just read this. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take an heifer with thee. And say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. And call Jesse to the sacrifice. And I will show thee what thou shalt do. And thou shalt anoint unto me him 
whom I name unto thee. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake. And came to Bethlehem, and the elders of the town trembled at his coming, and said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves, and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons, and called them to the sacrifice. So there was a, a concealing of the truth by righteous behavior. There was no lie in there. There was no taking away of the glory of God. There was no taking away of the good to man. Uh, and the truth was preserved. So we've seen the maintenance of the truth. Uh, and secondly, we look at the promotion. Uh, we've seen the promotion of the truth. Sorry, already seen that. Uh, and we're moving on quicker than I thought. Thirdly, the good name of all is mentioned in the catechism and explaining what is required in the ninth commandment so we've already touched upon it in the sense that what is truth is give glory to god and secondly it says for the good of man for the good of man and this is what this is then extending uh, when it says this the ninth commandment requires the maintaining and promoting of truth between man and man and of our own and our neighbor's good name our own and our neighbor's a good name. And so this particular part of that, that duty that's required in this ninth commandment, maintaining and promoting our own good name and our neighbor's good name. Or what is then, when we consider, what is a good name? What do we mean by a good name? We're not saying whether your name is a, is a fancy name or whether your, 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 your last name is of a great family. You know, if your last name was Windsor or something, then you would say, well, he's, he's got a very good name. Maybe for some people that wouldn't be a good name. That's not what a good name means. It doesn't mean it's easy to spell. It doesn't mean it's a popular name. It's speaking, of course, of reputation. Your reputation amongst all men. Having a good name, having a good reputation amongst all in society, but especially amongst the sober and the godly. Psalm 101 and verse 6 uh, gives us something of this. Mine eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He that walketh in a perfect way, he shall serve me. Well, that's, that's, the, that's having a, a good reputation amongst the Most High. The Most High God himself looking down upon us and observing our character and saying, he that walketh in a perfect way shall serve me. Having a reputation uh, with God is the most important. Unfortunately, we are so carnal and so earthly that we're more concerned about what others think of us, and hence why the fear of man is greater in us than the fear of God. But it should be, what does God think of me? Do I fear God so much that I'm concerned what he thinks about my thoughts and my desires and my words and my actions in the ninth commandment that I speak the truth with love? that I'm concerned about God's glory and man's edification and now the good name of all. So that is what a good name is, a reputation. Well, then we can say, well, how may a good name be obtained? How do we obtain a good name? Well, being, being kind and being useful in the world gives us a good name. Wherever providence has placed us in the world, and we might be far away from home, uh, but wherever we're put by the Lord that we endeavor to be kind, we endeavor to be useful. 
Psalm 112 and verse 9, he hath dispersed, that is, given freely, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness endureth forever, his horn shall be exalted with honor, his strength means shall be exalted with honor. What we see mostly then is when, when a sinner comes to Christ that there is a drastic, radical change of life especially if somebody is converted later on in life and they've gone into the world. But even those who've been brought up in the church and been brought up to be strictly moral must be honest with themselves that all of their religion was outside. It was all a religious mask, and inside there was great rottenness of heart. There was great, well, in the context of this command, there was lying in the tongue, that the God would accept me without being me repenting and believing or whatever else there was inside, and yet there is a great change because you've gone from spiritually dead to being spiritually alive by the con- converting power of on God. And so when that conversion has taken place, whether it's within the church and, and people only see, people then begin to see within the church that there's genuine prayer, there's a genuine interest in the things of God. There's a genuine delight in being surrounded by godly people. That there is fruit being brought, born forth in their lives because of the word of God has entered in and done them good and they are now uh, born again of the spirit of God. Or whether it's in the, in, in the more public sphere of somebody who's gone into the world and they've been known for their bad mouth and for their bad lifestyle and the bad relationships and and bad behavior of anything. And then they're converted. And what do we then see? Do we see that therefore after conversion, although many may despise you, many will see the change. Many will then see that the mouth has tidied up, that the language that comes forth is is simple, truthful language. It's not not peppered or sullied with with, uh, curse words. That the behavior has changed. A drastic change. And that then starts to begin to build a good reputation. Where there was a bad reputation in the world, however much the world would encourage it. And yet now there is a good reputation. By being honest. By speaking the truth in love. And I keep on adding that word in love. Because that makes all the difference. Between just spouting the truth. Using the truth like some sort of baseball bat against people or speaking the truth in love. So being kind and being useful in the world so that others will commend you. So therefore, having a good name is not something that you go out to promote yourself with. There are enough people that we see in the world, whether people who desire to be famous, politicians and the like, all about commending themselves, telling everybody on social media, on mainstream media or people that they know telling everybody how great they are that is not a fit way to obtain a good name the scriptures would call that foolishness paul when he wrote to the church at corinth his second epistle chapter 10 and verse 12 speaks of this he says for we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. So he says, we dare not. We, we, we apostles dare not even commend ourselves. Why? Because it is all of grace. And commending yourself does not feed the spirit, it feeds the flesh. 
brings glory to man. It does not bring glory to God. And he says it's not wise. It's foolishness. But when the apostle does commend himself, and we see that he does that in a few places in, in his letters, he's not commending himself. He's not saying, look at Saul. He's saying, look at the grace that has been given to Saul. Look at the office that has been given to Saul. He exalts his office, but also at the same time he deprecates himself. Because although he would say in 2 Corinthians 12, he says, In nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostles, yet immediately he adds, though I be nothing. So the correct Christian reputation is being humble, is not commending yourself, but allowing other people uh, to commend you if necessary, but not to seek that commendation. To seek your own glory, the Bible has a word for it, vain glory. That means empty glory. Desiring that people would look at you and consider you something important is not only vain glory, it's glory theft. Because all the glory belongs to God. Now the Apostle also commends, as I mentioned, the grace of God in himself. But he mentions and he says this, by the grace of God I am what I am. He's not stealing the grace, or the glory I should say. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. He's comparing himself now to the other apostles. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Some people can commend themselves and glorify themselves in a very subtle way. And using the word of God and the grace of God and how good God has been, but really they're trying to draw all the attention to themselves. That is not a preserving of, uh, and a promoting, a maintaining and a promoting of a good name. That's a stealing of God's glory because all that we have has been given to us. And if it's all been given to us by God, then he must receive all the glory. But the flesh will have it otherwise. So how may we maintain and promote our own good name then? If by God's grace that we have been converted, that we're able to have a testimony before the world, well, by walking according to the Scriptures and not according to our own ideas. Because if we walk according to the Scriptures and the Scriptures are the Scriptures of truth, then we're walking according to the truth. And if we're adding our own ideas or adding our own reasoning and saying, well, this is the reason why I will obey that, this is the reason why I will not obey that, then what are we putting in? Then we're putting the ideas and the desires of the flesh above that of the Scriptures. So here are the Scriptures, and then we raise human reason and rationality above the Scriptures. And that is not only wrong and sinful, it is a lie. Because we are not the standard of truth. The Scriptures are the standard of truth. So if we walk according to the Scriptures, in the way that the Scriptures demand of us, on the inside, on the outside, because he, we know that he will have truth in the inner parts, in the inward man. It's not just to be an outward show, but it, we are to be from inside to outside children of light and speaking in the truth. As Paul says to the Philippians, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke 
in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Now I see that we're going to, uh, we are indeed going to have to uh, leave this uh, to uh, next time to continue our study of these two questions. So we've examined together the maintenance of the truth and the promotion of the truth and we've begun to look at the good name of all, considering what the truth is, uh, that the truth is an objective truth and taught to us by the Scriptures. Well, we'll leave it there because time is against us and we'll close in a word of prayer, please. Our Lord and God, we thank Thee for the truth that we've learned from Thy Word. Lord, Thou knowest, Thou who art truth, and desirest the truth, that we would not live in a lie, that we would be children of light and not the children of darkness or even of shadows, but honest and true as Thou art true. Lord, speak to our hearts and bless thy word to us. Lord, that thy word would have that effect in us and change us. We pray thee for thy glory and in the name of thy Son. Amen.